This morning we're thinking we're talking about God's word and its power. And whenever I think about God's word and the, the power that it is, it makes me think of creation. And then when I think about that, it makes me actually think of um, C.S. Lewis and his Chronicles of Narnia series. In the very first book, um, not The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but The Magician's Nephew. Um, he gives us the story of Aslan, the lion, creating Narnia and what it looked like and what it sounded like and what it felt like. And so I want you to listen just for a second of this because this is a definite parallel to God creating the world. And so just listen to it. It says, In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from which direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune. But it was, beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could hardly bear it. Then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than one could possibly count. They were in harmony with it, but higher up the scale. Cold, tingling, silvery, silvery voices. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead, all at once, was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently one by one as they do on a summer evening. One moment, there was nothing but darkness. Next moment, a thousand thousand points of light leaped out single stars, constellations, and planets. The new stars and voices began at exactly the same time. If you had seen and heard it, you would have felt quite certain that it was the stars themselves which were singing, and that it was that first voice, the deep one, which made them appear and sing. And it's as I listen to his story, his uh, way he phrases that it makes me think of what creation must have looked like when God, when he spoke and his word caused things to happen. He caused them to just appear to come from nowhere because we know that God's word has power, right? It creates, it changes lives, it endures, right? Both his spoken word and his revealed word to us, the way he speaks to us. And today we're going to focus on some aspects of God's word and what it means for us. Like what, for example, what sets it apart from other books? Does it impact our lives or should it impact our lives? Or is it just a book of good stories and principles that some people can follow and you can take it or leave it? So we're going to read together 1 Peter 1. Uh, verses 22 through 25, and we'll be finishing up chapter 1 this morning. So let's listen to it. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so we see several things mentioned here about God's word. And really, all of these things are connected back to what God is telling us about his word. And so we're just going to kind of go through them um, one at a time. And first we see is that God's word is alive. 
So a good example of this from, from a different place in Scripture is from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of, Lord, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, God's word is alive. We see God's word bring things to life in creation. His word has power and the ability to make things happen. It's also active, right? God's word interacts with us. It discerns our hearts. It helps us to see Christ and the goodness and mercy that come with trusting in him. And once we do that, once we trust in him, his word helps us to see where we are turning away from his grace and his mercy and where we need to turn back to following him and living the way that he has called us to live. We also see that God's word is enduring or abiding. Right, The word of God that has given us life is enduring, meaning it doesn't decay, it doesn't change, it lasts forever. And his eternal word creates eternal life. Our lives as humans are no more permanent than the grass of the field. And that's the image that Peter gives us. Right? He contrasts God's word with the flower of the field. The flowers are beautiful, but they don't last long. And we all know that. Right? The beautiful blue bonnets of a few weeks ago are already mostly gone. And right now, while most of our lawns may be green and growing, we know that in just a few short weeks, they're going to start turning brown and they're going to die because of the heat. Right? But God's word doesn't wither. It doesn't die. It endures the heat. It endures persecution. It endures cultures, meaning that for all times, in all places, God's word endures and has principles and ways that you are to live that are true everywhere for all time. It endures doubt. It endures skepticism. It endures unbelief. And it just continues to be true and to change people's lives over and over and over again. We also see that God's word purifies. In the Old Testament, we saw that Israel had rituals that they had to do to consecrate or to purify themselves before they met with God. Whether that was in a major way, like before they received the Ten Commandments, they had this whole list of things. They had to wash all their clothes and bathe themselves and keep away from certain things. And then they had to show up and the priest would bless them and cleanse them. Or if it was just during their normal feasts throughout the year where they did a simpler version of that. But they had to purify themselves before they could meet with God. And that's somewhat true of us. We also need to be purified before we meet with God. But we do that in a different way. Right? In the next chapter, Peter explains kind of what that looks like. And he reminds us that Jesus died for us. So that having died to our sins, we might live for righteousness. Right? We are righteous through the repentance and confession of our sins. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, it kind of explains this a little bit more. It says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, we receive inward purification by repenting of our sins. Our ritual, our process, 
is belief and repentance and response to God's words of believing that we are sinners, that we are broken, that we have fallen short of God's standards. And so we need to repent. We need to make apologies for that, to say, I've messed up. I know that I have. I want to repent. I want to change. I want to be different. And I need you to do that. And we believe right, that Jesus came to earth and lived as a man and died on the cross for our sins so that as we believe in him that his righteousness becomes ours we might live for righteousness and so we repent in response to god's word and outwardly we symbolize that sometimes through committing to christ with our lives and giving our lives over to him and through baptism and the Lord's Supper, which are signs that we are united with Christ, that we are made clean, that we are renewed, that we are made whole. We also see that God's word calls for obedience, and specifically it calls us to love others. We see that towards the end where it says, we have obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love, and to love one another earnestly or deeply, and so Peter urges Christians to love one another. He shows that what we're supposed to do, what we are supposed to do is grounded in what God has done. God's word renews, it cleanses, and it matures us for a life of love and to love deeply. Right? This kind of love only comes from a changed heart, from someone whose motives are pure, who seeks to give more than they take. And it's not to be just kind of a shallow love of, yes, I care for you, yes, I love you, but you really don't do anything about it. It doesn't change the way you interact, but deeply, right? Kind of going all out, almost straining to love one another, putting some a lot of effort into it. But how can he command such love to the groups that he's writing to? Because Peter's writing to two different groups of people when he writes this letter. He's writing to the Jews and the Gentiles who have been divided for thousands of years and did not associate with one another and did not like one another and argued about what, how they were supposed to live and what was right and what was wrong and what they were supposed to do. And so his dealing with two different people that do not associate with one another, but he was calling them to love each other. And if you listen to that description, it sounds and looks a lot like what we see all over the news right now is people being divided. And I think this is an important thing for us because this should be true for us, right? For us who are believers, we are called to love one another. And in a time of divisiveness, I think this is especially important. People are angry and any disagreement seems to be a reason just to blast the other person. A lack of understanding, a lack of listening, a lack of concern, a lack of love in our conversations. And I think we all know it shouldn't be that way in the church. We shouldn't hate. We shouldn't speak angrily. We shouldn't dismiss those who disagree with us. Whether that's how we handle the current crisis of when we should meet or when we shouldn't meet and if we should wear a mask or not wear a mask and if we should sing whatever we want to sing with our masks off or wear masks or whatever it is or whether it's a political disagreement that you just see things differently or you support different candidates or different ideas or whatever it may be. Or even if we're just disagreeing on who has the best tacos in town. 
right? So it's what I'm not saying is that doesn't mean the disagreements above, above among believers disappear, right? I know that we are going to have differing opinions on what we should do in response to this pandemic. I know that we're going to have differing opinions on political issues and who you should vote for and how you should vote. I get that. I understand that. I'm not saying that we pretend, right? Because he says in here, you should be sincere, right? So you should be who you really are. We're not pretending to get along for the sake of others. No, we're actually doing something different. See, we're not pretending or hiding our differences or even our struggles. But the way we disagree is completely different. It shouldn't look the same as the disagreements of the world. Right. We should disagree lovingly. And we can only do that. The, one of the main things that helps us do that is if we prioritize the word of God over all else. Right? Not our interpretations of the word or traditions of the word, but the actual word. What the word says, and what it asks us to do, and what it calls us to make important, and how it calls us to make priorities in our life. And as we let the Word of God work in our hearts and in our lives, it will fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. And as the Spirit fills us, then our lives are characterized by kindness and gentleness and patience and understanding. And those things begin to show up in our lives and in our relationships together and in our church. And then all of a sudden, living by the Spirit, being focused on God's Word, the church looks different. And I think in today's world, people that can disagree but still love each other this would be a great testimony to the power of Christ and His Word. Right? Because the answer for the Jews and the Gentiles in that time is the same for us. To bind us together as a family who loves one another, we have to be directed to the source. The love of those who are redeemed flows from the Redeemer. Our love is a love of grace. It's a love of compassion. And in order to do that, we have to let go of our pride and our selfishness and submit ourselves to God and his word. And I, it might sound crazy, but I think if we are all submitting ourselves to God and his word with effort, that we'll kind of all end up getting along anyway. Because if you're focused on God and he is who we believe he is, and he is shaping all of our lives and all of our thoughts and all the way we live all of that out, then we should slowly begin to become more and more like one another. Which means we'll value different things than the world values. We'll love different things than the world that the world loves. We'll care about, we'll disagree, we'll do different things than they do as we focus on the word of God. And as we focus on the word, it brings everything else into focus. And lastly, we see that the word of God is good news. Right? We see this kind of towards the end. It says, this word is the good news or the gospel that was preached to you. And this good news that he's talking about is, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, the good news that was proclaimed to us was the gospel. Right, That we can be 
born again by the imperishable, enduring, living word of God. The gospel is God's recreating, regenerating word. It makes us new. Just like we saw at the beginning, there's all these stars that show up out of nowhere because Aslan speaks. Same is true for us. When God speaks to us and calls us unto himself, we become a new creation. There are things there now that weren't there before when we trust and give our lives to him. And Peter compares this life-giving power right, to a, a seed, right, the seed of life that is sown in our hearts to create new life. Right? Not a seed that dies away, but a, a seed that endures. Right? Because we're all like grass. All flesh, all people are like grass. We will wither and fade away. Even if we live a long time, at some point we won't live on this earth anymore. Our lives will end. But through the word, through God's word, we can have life. And if God's word is in you, and you are in God's word and God's family, then when you leave this earth, that's not the end. Because what is in you is enduring. It is forever. It is eternal. Which means that we will be enduring and eternal with him in heaven for all eternity. And so we live forever with God because we are purified, right? Purified from our sins through Christ who made us holy by his sacrifice for our sins. And this enables us to live in obedience towards one another, right? This enabling of the Spirit through Christ in our lives helps us to love one another the way this is talking about which we know isn't an easy thing to do. And it says we focus on the word of God over anything else, over everything else, that we are made alive and holy in Christ, and we're able to endure all things and love one another deeply and sacrificially. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We do thank you for your word that you speak to us, that you don't leave us out in the dark to try to figure it out on our own or to hope that we can understand or hope that we can find you, but you give us your word through scripture so that we can read about you, we can read how you've worked throughout history of how you have moved to save mankind, but also how you speak to us through your spirit. You talk to us almost face-to-face -face on a personal level. God, I pray that we will focus on your word, that we will live by it, that we will seek it out, that we will study it, we will meditate on it, we will memorize it. Because being grounded in your word changes everything else that we do and focuses everything else we do on you and your principles. God, so help us to seek your word to follow your word above all things, that we wouldn't be distracted by the things of the world or the disagreements of the world or the things that the media thinks are important for us to cover or to argue about. But if all of those things would be seen through the lens of the gospel, 
through the lens of the good news that demonstrates love and compassion and mercy and grace. God, and I pray that you would help us to be a people of love and compassion and mercy and grace. And that you will use us and set us apart to be used for your purpose in that way. In your name I pray. Amen.